in us. Many people give up on the Christian life because they just say, I can't do it. I remember as a freshman in college, my mother and I were on the phone one night in the midst of my great frustration at not being able to live uh, the Christian life faithfully. And um, I said to her, I just can't do it. And she said, well, I'm glad you finally figured that out. It is Christ who does it in us. One of the great ways that he does that is through his word. So we turn to his word and we want to run to it this morning. Zig Ziglar um, was a motivational speaker. Um, He's now home in heaven. But for many years, he had this deep, rich, low, booming voice and he had a great sense of humor. And uh, a lot of people don't, maybe don't realize that while he would travel around the world seeking to motivate people with um, a positive view of business and a positive view of treating people um, as humans, he talked a lot about that, um, treating people as you would have them treat you. They didn't know that he also taught Sunday school at First Baptist Church of Dallas for about 30 years. He was a Sunday school teacher. Um, an adult Sunday school teacher. Great man, um, I think, of great faith. And one of the things that he said in all of his little wisdom that I caught over the years was, he said, you know, money isn't everything. It's really not. We live like it often is. Uh, Money isn't everything. I mean, it is right up there with oxygen, but it's not everything. You know, we, we look at the things that we think we need. We think that we need various things as we come into 2021. We look at various uh, felt needs of our life or things that we're concerned about. And um, this last year, it had to do with toilet paper, of course, and it had to do with various other things that we so desperately needed, so we thought. But not to trivialize it too much, I I do want to talk this morning and us to look at God's Word this morning about our greatest needs, our greatest needs. Our greatest needs this year in 2021 is God's Word and worship. Those are our greatest needs. You know, we turn on the television, we've already mentioned the fact that There's no telling what they'll say next. You can go through the web pages um, of your news feeds, those kinds of things. And I mean, we we look at uh, not just the issues of the virus, but economics and politics and all of the other things around us. And there's such varied opinions. There's such, in, in fact, much of the data is very often diametrically opposed to one another. One is saying it's this way and the other one is saying it's this way. It's rather astounding. Um, how that has become more and more and more evident in our world to where you begin to wonder, well, what is the truth? What is really the truth? And um, about almost anything. Well, the wonderful thing is that we can come to the source of all truth. God's Word and God's Holy Spirit are the source of everything that is true. In fact, God, Jesus, the, the Lord Jesus himself, while he was here on the earth, said, I am the way, and what does he say next? The truth and what? And the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Um, so we, we want to come and look at our greatest needs. And in order to do that, I want us to take just one Sunday and jump into Nehemiah. I want us to look at 12 verses in Nehemiah that have always intrigued me. They've always humbled me. They've all, this story that we're going to see in Nehemiah is really rich, and um, it's filled with the power um, and the prominence of God's Word. And so this morning, the title is God's Word and Worship, Your Greatest Needs in 2021. Notice the screen in front of you, this next picture. This is actually part of um, one of the hillsides, not far from Jerusalem in Israel. Many of you kind of thought, well, I thought it was just an arid wasteland, just absolutely, you know, nothing. Um, But for those of you who have never been to Israel, it's an exceedingly beautiful country. And there's all kinds of climates there. You can see bananas growing and just a little ways away, there's cherries growing and apples growing. Usually those are in very different climates. Um, But in Israel, it's just kind of amazing. It really is a land flowing with milk and honey. That that means it's a a fertile place with much blessing. And um, obviously, God has been working and moving um, through that area of the world It's where he simply chose to come into the world, and the people by whom he chose to bless the world was in that place. Very often as you're driving through Israel, you can see ruins that are all around, much like this one um, that is here. And that's because civilization after civilization have existed there, but it's a very, very interesting place where God has been playing out much of his plan of redemption for the world. I have a gray box on the outline, and this is why you need your notes. If you're at home, I hope you have them. Um, But notice the gray box. If we want to read the Bible, we need to understand its context. Context is very, very, very important. A lot of people read the Bible, they say, boy, I read it, I just don't understand. What is it talking about? Well, one of the ways to help you understand the Bible is to look at context. So I want us to do that for just a minute. Um, This may be a a great morning for you to kind of see God's redemptive plan. In fact, put above that gray box, God's redemptive plan. This is when you look at a timeline of human history, when you look at a timeline specifically of God's people in human history, you're looking at God's redeeming plan. Because at the very beginning with Adam, we immediately realized we need to be redeemed. We ran in our own way, Adam sinned, Eve sinned, and the rest of the story is about God bringing us back to him. So somewhere around 4,000 BC, we're not really sure exactly when that would be because these early generations, many of them lived a very long time, um, but the genealogies would show somewhere around 4,000 BC all the way to Noah. And what happened with Noah? The world was exceedingly wicked. And God destroyed the world except for one family with an ark. And this is a picture of God's coming redemption. This is part of the picture so that we can start to see his redeeming plan. We see our need, our propensity towards sin, and we see his graciousness to save. And so that's what we already see that in the first area, the first epic that is there, the flood and the ark. We see sin and faith, sin and faith, sin and grace. This is what happens. If you read the stories of the Bible, uh, around, the, around the 2000 mark, give or take 200 years on either side because of these different patriarchs, Abraham and God's covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and then Joseph. 
And then they're in Egypt. God's people are in Egypt. And you remember, it is Joseph who is there, and God uses, God uses Joseph to be a place where God's people can run to and find solace that is there. Then after 400 years and eventually falling into slavery and under great difficulty, around 1500, Moses leads them where? Out of Egypt, through the wilderness, and to the promised land. The judges lead them into the promised land. It is through Moses, right out there to the side, the law of God is given. Not only the Ten Commandments, but we see God is showing us that He has a covenant with us that we would obey Him. And part of what we begin to see through the law is that we cannot be perfect. We cannot keep the law. God is showing us our need for salvation. And then around 1000 BC, the people are saying, we want a king, we want a king. Everybody else has a king, we want a king. And so God says, okay, you're going to have a king, but you're going to suffer for it. And God was saying, let me be your king. The people said, no, everybody else has a king. We want a king like everybody else. You know, very often that's what we do. How often does that happen with your children? Your children ask for something, ask for something, and you're saying, no, that's poisonous. You can't have that. Or no, that's not good for you. That, that, you know, but over and over again, that's what we see. We often want things that are not good for us. And so God gives Saul. Of course, Saul's a disaster. And then David comes. God has a covenant with David to even say, I'm going to show you my redemption through this king, through the lineage of, of David. And then Solomon. Solomon builds the first temple for Mosaic worship, uh, Mosaic law worship that is there. So the first temple is built around 931, just a short time after the kings of that time. The kingdom is divided. And as a result of that divided kingdom between Israel in the north and Judah in the south, many, many troubles ensue. And it's through this that you in your Bible have the major and minor prophets that are calling the people back to God, calling the people to realize their need for God. And that's part of where we've been in our church over the last couple of years. Remember here, among there's many other prophets, but these are the two that I mentioned here, Circle Hosea and Circle Micah. Our church has studied the book of Hosea around 750 B.C. And Isaiah and Micah. We've been studying Micah, Circle Micah. That's where we've been over the last, during the fall. And we see Babylonian, Assyrian, and Persian wars warring over the area and God using those pagan nations to deal with his people. In 586, that first temple, after 400 years, it was destroyed and Jerusalem was wiped out. Notice there with me, Jerusalem destroyed. And in 516, there's permission for a second temple to be built. Persia takes over the area. Cyrus says you can go back to your homeland and you can rebuild your temple. And so some guys first come and Zerubbabel, they build an altar. And then eventually the temple is rebuilt. Wasn't as grand as Solomon's temple, but it was the second temple. And then look at 458. Ezra returns from Persian captivity. And then in 458, he returns and he begins the, the real process of the temple worship becoming more prominent. In 445, just a few years later, Nehemiah returns to do what? 
to build the wall. Can you circle that? Nehemiah comes to build the wall. He returns to build the wall. That's part of where our text is this morning and where we come 400 years later, the birth of the Messiah who had been promised. Now, for some of you, you've said, wow, no one has ever walked through the history of the Old Testament for me. And we just kind of did it. And we want you to know, if you just kind of start studying the Bible and you, you stick with us and in your own time at home and in other classes that we offer and that kind of thing, God's Word can start to become very, very understandable to you. It just takes a little bit of instruction and a little bit of study, or let's say a lot of instruction and a lot of study, but it is completely worth it. And you can begin to see how God's redeeming plan is working through history to bring his people to himself. And so the setting of uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 is this. Nehemiah is the governor so Nehemiah, fill that in, Nehemiah is the governor over the city and the region, and Ezra is the priest over the temple. Ezra is the priest over the temple. So, so one is more the political leader and the leader of the practical things, and the other one is more the spiritual leader. And so both of these men working together with the people of God. You remember, the city had been destroyed. It had been wiped out eventually a temple altar was built, and then eventually the temple was built. Well, they were still vulnerable. They had no walls around them, and there were nations around them that hated them, hated the true people of God. And so we see that they needed to come and rebuild what was there. Now, fill this in as well, or notice that underneath Ezra is the priest over the temple. They had returned to Jerusalem that had been destroyed and abandoned to restore the observance of God's law and worship. Um, I want you to see a couple of pictures here. Um, and so guys kind of jump to the pictures. I, I want you to see what it looked like. First of all, Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day. It's not intended for you to read the labels there, but I do want you to kind of notice, and, and the basic outline of this city can still be seen even in Jerusalem today, even though Jerusalem has grown out in every direction around this practically. But notice that there's the Temple Mount, and this is that beautiful place where God would deal with Abraham. This is that beautiful place where God would come and establish his temple that he laid out, and eventually it would be built. Very specific instructions in the Old Testament about what the temple would be like and what it would be. And it was a glorious, Solomon's temple was a glorious spectacle. Um, and then eventually it would be destroyed and then rebuilt, not quite as, quite as glorious, and then it would be destroyed again, and Herod uh, who was the Herod uh, at the time of Jesus' birth, would also rebuild the temple again um, before it would be destroyed by Titus. So there's the Temple Mount, but there's also the need of the wall around the city. So notice this next part here. You see the red arrow there. You see the wall that's around that. Can most of you see that? I know people at home can see it quite well if you're here. You can see it. Here's another artist's rendi rendition of this, and this is maybe what it would have looked like in the in the springtime when everything is green in Israel, um, the only thing is to the left of that walled city, there would have been a whole area of ruins because that had been destroyed. It was a city that was all around it in ruins. And when Nehemiah was building the wall, they didn't build the wall around the entire old city that had been destroyed. They only took a portion of it. 
Now, the story of the book of Nehemiah is quite amazing because construction in those days, as you can see in the next photograph, would be, or, or image, would be quite amazing. It would be a packed place, and uh, they would be using material to build up those fortress walls in order to remain somewhat safe. And what is truly amazing is that God was working, His hand was with Nehemiah and the people. There were 46,000 of them. The Bible gives us the number of them. There was 46,000 people with Nehemiah building the wall, and they rebuilt the wall in 52 days because the people had a mind to do it. Now, this is one of the mount areas of Herod's temple, excuse me, of, of Solomon's temple. Um, excavations going on even today, um, and it's just all over Israel. It's very, very interesting to see that. But I want you to see the story of what God was doing as he did this and the prominent wall and the prominent role that his word would play. Look at what the book of Nehemiah is all about. First of all, as we see God working through this plan, the first thing we want to notice is Nehemiah is about this. The Lord hears prayer. Nehemiah would pray and God would hear the prayer and answer. If you are wondering about your prayer life, I want to encourage you to read the book of Nehemiah and see, go mark how God heard the prayers and answered the prayers of his people. Number two, the Lord works providentially through leaders and nations to bring about his greater purposes. That's what God does. TJ had that in his prayer just a few moments ago, that God is at work through the leaders of this age and through the troubles of this age, through the blessings of this age, even through the technology of this age. God is at work in the affairs of men. And these are good kings and, and uh, good nations that would be helpful, and these are evil kings. God uses the Babylonians. He uses the Assyrians to deal with his own people. And God sometimes uses people around your life to deal with you. God teaches you. God draws you. God speaks to you through circumstances of life for those who are looking to him. He providentially is working. Look at number three. The Lord protects his people so they don't need to be afraid. That's one of the things that you can gain from the book of Nehemiah. You, you, fear is not necessary for those who walk with God. Look at the next one that is there. Number four, the Lord is merciful and faithful to his promises. Now, fill in merciful and faithful and underline to his promises. When God makes a commitment, he keeps it. God never lies. He never um, forsakes a promise that he makes. He always fulfills. And then look at the second line of number four, despite his people's what? Persistence in sin. God is merciful and faithful to his promises even when we sin against him. Put out there to the side, grace. That's what God does. He is a God of grace. Old Testament has God's grace throughout it. Number five, the last one I want you to see here, and very important for us this morning, is God's word and worship are at the center of life. 
The great climax of the book of Nehemiah is what we are about to read. We're going to read the first part of it. It goes into the second part that we're not going to read this morning in chapter 9. But this is, I mean, they did the work. God came and worked miracles in order to help them. And they have been faithful in that. And after the wall is finished, we see in the book of Nehemiah that God shows himself to them through the reading of his word. And so this is what brings to them life. So you're going to see in the text that we're about to read, God is, re- he is through their reading, he is reminding of God's holy law, and then we're going to see their response. And this is a very important thing for all of God's people, even here in 2021. So um, let's read, and um, I will ask you, if you would, to please stand for this. I know you're, you're not used to that, but you're going to understand that in just a moment on why I'm asking you to do that this morning. It's not just because you've been through the holidays and you're a little sleepy. It, it's, there's a reason here. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So they all gather together and they tell Ezra, bring the book. Verse 2. So Ezra their priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard. And the idea there is a child that would be old enough to understand. And you're going to see why you maybe wouldn't want a really, really young child there in just a minute. Um, But all those who could understand on the first day of the seventh month, verse 3. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. Now do you understand? From early morning until midday. In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So they listened to it all morning. Verse 4. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that had been made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mathathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Massasiah on his right hand, and Pedadiah, and Mishael, and Malkajai, and Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. So he had a group of leaders standing on both sides of him as he read. Look at verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. You remember they had made the wooden stand so that he would be prominently up there. That he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered. Would you all read this out loud with me? Amen and amen. And lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Joshua, Bani, Sherebah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, 
Hodiah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josbad, Hannah, Pelaniah, and the Levi, or the Levites. That's, those are the, that list was the Levites. Those are the Levitical um, tribe of priests. Helped the people to understand the law. So it was being read, and there were people that were there among them who had been trained, helping them to understand what was being read. While the people remained where? In their places. Verse 8. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so the people understood the reading. Look at verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Verse 10. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine. And send portions to everyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Verse 11, so the Levites calmed the people, saying, be quiet, for this, is, this day is holy. Do not be what? Grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. You may be seated. This morning, I want us to pick out a few things that we can gain from this reading of God's law as we see how it tells us of the reading of God's law some 2,500 years ago. There's some key observations, and by the way, under each one of these, you're going to see some words on italics, and those are the portions that we've just read. And so I want you to see, when you have a message from the Bible, what you want to make sure that we're doing is we're seeking to pick apart what we've just read. If you, if you are in a church where the Bible is not necessary to have with you, um, I can just tell you that you probably don't need to be in that church. Um, the Bible time and the Bible message, the sermon time, should be dependent completely upon what God's Word says. And our job is to make sure that the message of the sermon is the message of the text. And so that's what is, must always happen when we come to this time. So I want you to see what we see in this text from this. And so it's going to be brought brought out from each one of these verses. So there's two main points I want you to get this morning. The first one is this. Our reading of God's Word is hugely important. It was important for Nehemiah and for the people of Israel as they were rebuilding the, nation, the, uh, the city of Jerusalem, and it is important for us in this day and time. The reading of God's Word is important, and we see that all through the Word of God. Over and over and over again, God is telling us, remember what I have said, listen to what I've said, 
Tell your children what I have said. Teach them diligently what I have said. When you rise up, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, teach them. Put this word upon your heart. Read my words. Know my words. This is how you have truth. This is how you have life. This is how you have redemption. This is how you have guidance for life. This is how you know what's next. And so reading of God's Word is hugely important. We see that throughout the Scripture, but especially in this passage. It's just amazing. Number two, we're going to see our response to God's Word. So it's not just that you read it, but that you respond to it. And what is your response? Hopefully, when you hear God's Word, you come to true worship. That is God's intention that we hear his words and we worship him. And so you see, when we come to worship him, that is when we come to what true life is all about. And so Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. And so as we come and we worship Jesus, we discover what it means to have abundant life. Well, let's look at the first one, Um, as we go here first. Our reading of God's Word is hugely important. Letter A, I want you to notice this, that they gathered together at an important common place. That's what they did. They gathered together. God's people are always called to gather together. Following God and being a part of God's family is not an individualized sport. It's a team sport. That's what we're called to do. It is something that we do in an assembly, in tandem with one another. It is personal, but it's not private. Um, Our worship is public. Um, Jesus didn't go to the cross in private. Jesus went to the cross naked, beaten, rejected, and hung up in public to be shamed for us. And he rose from the dead in public in order to show the world who he was and what he would do in order for us to know him. And so for us, our gathering is to be together. And as we gather, look what it says in verse 1. All the people gathered, underline that, as one man. So they were in unison together. They were like in a body together. We talk about that in the life of the New Testament church as one man, in a body. This is the assembly. And notice this, all the people occurs 10 times in what we just read. If you were to go back through and highlight where it says all the people and all the people and all the people, this is how they were responding. This is how they were listening. This is how they were poised, all the people. We see that this is important to God, that his people are together. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, so a New Testament passage in Hebrews, it says, do not forsake the what? Okay, that was very, very weak. Um, Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Let's read it out loud together, the portion that I have here. What does it say? Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It is God's intention that God's people come together because alone we are vulnerable, alone the devil can have a heyday with us, alone we've met the enemy and he is me. You know, Andrew's biggest problem is Andrew. I mean, that's, that's, that's how most of us are. And when we are in, 
in community with others who love God. We have all kinds of encouragement. We have all kinds of help. We have all kinds of accountability. We can be corrected. All of that can keep us with God. So um, this assembling together was very important. They assembled for a very important purpose, and they assembled in a common place. Um, Look at the next one, letter B. They purposefully prioritize the place and the prominence of the reading. They purposely prioritize. Now, what does it say in verse 1? Here it is again. And all the people gathered as one man, where? Into the square before the water gate. Now, if you look at some of the archaeological drawings, they have discovered where the water gate was. It's kind of, I'm not talking about Washington and Nixon. I know that's some of you are thinking, Watergate, Watergate. I I have no idea why they named that building the Watergate, and it has nothing to do with this. So uh, let's get that out of the way. That's my ADD coming out. So, um, but I do want to acknowledge it so that you're not distracted. But notice here with me, there was there were all different gates around the city in that big wall, and so one of the key gates obviously is going to be where you get water. It would have been one of the big and busy gates. Um, and because everybody has to have water, right? There, there's, there's, and there were two places where there was water in the city, but this is one of them. And there was a square in front of that. And that square that was in front of the water gate would have been a common gathering place. Because, you know, if you got to go get water for the day, if you're selling, you know, some type of bread or you're selling some type of meat or you're selling something, you, where would you go where the people are? You're going to go market that where everybody has to come. You're going to market that at a strategic place. Well, this time, that square, which would have been very strategic for their daily life, becomes the square where they come to hear the most important thing of all for their life. And I, I, I don't want us to miss that. In verse 1, it says, the water gate there, Jesus said, I am the living water. He who drinks from my well, he never thirsts again. So we, we, we start to see this this imagery, and I, I don't want to hyper-spiritualize the text, but I, I, I think every word in the Bible is there for a reason. It would make sense that we gain from this that, that it was a strategic place, it was a common place, it was a necessary place, and all of those things are true of the Word of God in our lives. Look at number four. In Ezra the scribe, verse four, excuse me, letter B, verse four. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose, for the purpose of this reading. So they didn't commonly do that. They said, okay, we're going to be here at the big square in front of the water gate, and we're going to make a, a platform for him, and that's where he's going to stand. Some of you know that when this building was built, this building was built And uh, Pastor Billingsley and the leaders at the time wanted to be very clear about what was to happen in this room, the most important thing that would happen in this room. And so they named this building the preaching place. This was the place for preaching. So all my life growing up on all the little maps of of this campus, it always said the preaching place. And I've often heard people say, I've never heard a worship center called that. But Pastor Billingsley understood the importance of preaching the Word of God, of preaching for our lives. You know, it's interesting that in this day and time, Satan has kind of turned it in our culture where to preach is bad. You know, to to preach, you know, stop preaching at me. You know, you you can hear that in the kitchen over an argument, right? 
You, you can hear that with a teenager, right? You can hear that with a coworker, right? When you're talking about things that are right and wrong. That, that we, we've, we've thought that preaching is about, listen, the Bible tells us how can we hear unless we are told, and how are we going to be told unless there is someone preaching? God has chosen to use preaching. He's, in his amazing wisdom, and in his amazing plan, he has designed us to be able to receive truth, to hear truth, and for it to change our lives. And so preaching is how God has chosen. That's why I commend you for being here today. I commend you for being online, for being there and, and, and coming and saying, I need to hear the Word of God read and explained. This is how God works in this, and it's an important thing. So we, we built a whole building for this purpose. Look at letter C, not only gather together, purposefully prioritize the place, but also letter C. They attentively listened and they desired to hear the word. And we see this in verse 3. Look what it says in verse 3. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So just kind of think about that. Now listen. In cultural Christianity, I know that some people show up at church and it's their daydream time. I got to go to church, do the religious thing, keep my uh, husband happy or keep my wife happy or keep my mom happy or something like that. And so I, I got to go to church and so I just, I just come and I sit down and I shift my mind into another gear. Let me tell you that that is not what was happening here. These people were actively listening to the Word of God. I want to encourage you, if you somehow, through the, through the navigation of your life, through your years, got into any habit like that, I want to encourage you to repent of that and ask for God's help with that. Because you're already coming, why not go ahead and get something out of it? Amen? Why not go ahead and engage? I mean, we're doing everything we can with PowerPoint and books and Bibles and notes, and we're trying to help you get it. So I'm going to just want to encourage you to say, Lord, right now, rid me from that really demonic mindset that thinks that I'm doing you a favor by coming here and sitting in this room. Instead, Lord, humble my heart and let me receive what you have. Amen? So, notice verse 3, and the people in the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And notice this, verse 5. Read it out loud together with me. Verse 5. And the people stood when he opened the book. Now, here's the idea. They all got there. They're waiting on everybody. You've got 46,000 people that are going to gather in a square some are going to come early. Some are going to be coming in a little bit late. Some had to get the kids settled with aunt so-and-so and, you know, whatever. And so they're all making it. Well, some are sitting there just kind of maybe some fell asleep. It was early in the morning. And so they're all there. But when Ezra showed up and he stood up on the podium and he opened the scroll, he opened the book, what did everybody do? They all stood up. They wanted to hear. They wanted to hear what was being said. And so, 
this is a beautiful picture of us coming together, wanting to hear. You know, if you pull into the parking lot at 1035 and you've had an angry fight on the way here because you're late and you don't want to be late anymore, da, 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 and then you finally sit down and, you know, you had to find a place and everything else, the family can't, you know, you're probably not going to be ready to attentively hear the Word of God. I want to encourage you as part of your worship to get ready on Saturday night this year. Get your clothes out. Get them ready on Saturday night. Get your Bible. Get your stuff ready. If you're, you know, if, if you're coming to us online, make sure everything's set. Make sure the family knows what the plan is. And make the time of hearing the Word of God that where your heart is ready to hear it. God will speak. God will work. And we're going to see that here. Notice letter D. They were not distracted by discomfort. They were not distracted by discomfort. Look at verse 3. He read from it, facing the square before the water gate, and then underline this, from early morning until midday. So for those of you who have complained about the length of our services, maybe you need to go back to Jerusalem 2,500 years ago and, and be there with Joshua, or excuse me, be there with Nehemiah standing in the Watergate Square. They got together and they stood attentively. Now, I don't know that, I know that they stood when he went to open the book. I don't know that they stood the entire time. Perhaps some of them did. Certainly some of them did. But they would have come for hours and hours listening, listening to the Word of God. Some of you go, yeah, hours and hours. Could I just make it through it? Could I don't even know if I could make it through it. Well, listen, they, this Word tells us they were attentively listening to what God had said. Let me remind you that they wouldn't have had scrolls at home. Some of the Levites would have had some of the scrolls some of that tribe, but the average guy that's been out there bricklaying, many of them probably wouldn't have been able to read. But they were there with their people listening to the Word of God. There's been many people who cannot read who were people of great faith because they would listen to the Word of God. Marcy and I know people in North Africa in the Middle East who cannot read but they are great people of the Word of God because they have radio programs and they have DVDs and they have online uh, download capability and they listen to the Word of God even though they are illiterate. Um, notice here with me that these were listening attentively and they were not distracted by discomfort. Look at numbers, verse 7. The Levites helped the people understand the law. While the people, look at that, underline it, while the people did what? remained in their places. Now, I know sometimes somebody has to go to the bathroom. It's okay for you to get up and go to the bathroom. I'd rather you get up and go to the bathroom and be able to come back and pay attention. Um, children do need to be taught how to sit through a surface. That means you go to the bathroom beforehand, before the service starts, um, but so as to not be a distraction to everybody else. I mean, that's a, that's a good thing. I sat right over here where Mark is sitting all my life growing up with my dad there, and he said the deal. We got a deal. Andrew, you go to the bathroom before the service starts, and if you got to get up and go to the bathroom, well, you can, you can sit in the bathroom for an hour when we get home because I was at one of those times when I would just get up and go, and, he, and I, I did that one Sunday. I was like, I don't want to sit in there on the bathroom floor for an hour on Sunday afternoon. Dad, I mean, he said, did you go to the bathroom? Okay. 
So now sometimes there's an extenuating circumstance. My dad wasn't an ogre. He was a gracious man. But he was teaching me how to worship. He was teaching me what was important. And I want to just say to you that we all need to pay attention to those things. Um, so as best we can, we remain in our place. For those who are saying, well, I just got to get home to get, to, to get the football game on television. And so, you know, midway part of the service or even just as the service is ending, instead of fellowshipping with anybody, that, you know, that there's a run for the door. Let me, let me caution you about that because that, that can mean that your just mind is somewhere else or you're not interested in engaging with the Word of God. I want to be encouraging you to be all in, all the way. Let God work through His Word. Let God work through His assembly of people in your life. Um, this, is, this is a good word for us. May we be fully engaged, not distracted by discomfort. Um, look at letter E. They were careful to understand what the word actually means. Now, that's, that's an, a key ingredient in this is that it actually matters what is being said. I mean, it's such a tragic thing that certain denominations or religions would have all of the teaching and all of the preaching and even the Word in a language that the people don't even understand. And what does that teach them to do? It teaches them to completely disengage with what is being taught. It inoculates them against the truth. My friends, we don't want to do that. I don't want to preach in such a way that I know everything is going right over your head. I want to preach in such a way that as many of you as possible come along with us in the text, that as many as possible learn and grow. You know, we have folks here in this room who come Sunday after Sunday that, you know, they, they kind of quit school at about sixth grade. I mean, seriously, I mean, we have folks that, that just, they're good, hard-working folks, love the Lord and everything, but they, they didn't have the privilege of a great education. And then we have folks in this room that have a PhD, very highly educated folks, and everything in between. But isn't it amazing that God's Word is so good, and if we'll be careful with the way we teach, the guy who has a sixth-grade education and the gal who has a PhD, both of them can hear from God. And so there's going to be some things that you don't understand. I understand that. But as we're going to see here, they wanted to learn. They wanted to listen. And the preachers at that time wanted the people to understand. Look what it says under letter E, verse 8. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense, put above that, the meaning, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. You can understand the Word of God. You can understand as you come. You see, fill this in under letter E, proper understanding is the responsibility of both the preacher and who? The people. It is all of our responsibility to understand. I mean, here's the deal. You got to try. You got to look, you got to listen, you got to pay attention, you got to think. Don't expect the preacher to do all the thinking for you. 
What you need to do is be willing to look and have your mind in gear, say, well, what does that mean? And maybe you would make down a little note there that says, I'm going to go find out what that means. Maybe it's a word, maybe it's a phrase, maybe it's a doctrine that is mentioned, and you're, you're going to write down some things there because you're going to go home and look it up so that you might understand. You see, people, seekers of the truth, that's what they do. They grow in the truth. There's some people that have never done this. There's some people that have sat in pews and they've never engaged their minds and their hearts and they've just kind of gone on that year after year, decade after decade, and they no more know the Word of God than a man in the moon. And it's because they have not taken this part of their responsibility. And admittedly, there are many preachers who for years preached platitudes and nice attitudes and, you know, three points in a poem, and everybody left not knowing the Word of God anymore, just having a little inspirational thought. Both of those things are evil. What is proper is that we would say, these are the eternal words of the Creator, and He's provided it for us. He's given it. He's protected it for us. Why would we not start to dive into it? Tear it apart. You know, it can withstand your questions. It can withstand your doubts. God can handle those things as He works through our hearts, works through our lives, and we come to see that the Word is alive and active. It's His words for us. So the first thing that we've looked at is the reading that we saw here is hugely important, so important that 46,243 people would gather in a Watergate square and hear for hours the Word of God. But number two, let's look and let's see their response. And so look at number two with me. Our response to God's Word is hugely important in true worship. And I'm going to ask you if you would to just flip the page over because I want to read that second paragraph that is there very quickly. I want you to see their response. You may want to write above verse 9 their response um, so you can remember. So notice what it says in verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to, what does it say? All the people. There's one of the ten. Said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. So they were weeping. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, and send portions to everyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you go back and you read the whole book of Nehemiah, you see that they, their strength was a big issue as they're building the wall. Are they going to be able to stay together? Are they going to have teamwork? Are they going to be able to make it through this difficult process? Are, is God going to protect them from the enemies that are clamoring on the hills next door that are coming and attacking them and trying to divide them? So look what it says. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Verse 11 so the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words declared to them. Flip your sheet back over and let's look at this. Number two, our response to God's word is hugely important. True worship 
And that's where we see not only verse eight, or chapter 8, but we go into verse chapter 9, and you really see it in chapter 9 as well, which we won't do. But notice this from this passage, letter A. The words of God convicted them for their sin. The words of God convicted them for their sin. They knew that they had not kept God's law. You know, that's what happens. Sometimes when we are reading the Word of God, we start to see, wow, I've had such little faith. Wow, I've done exactly what he said not to do. Wow, I didn't think that way. God's Word should correct us. It should rebuke us. Where we are not in line with God's holiness, as we read the Word and as we see what's in the Word, we should say, wow, I need to get in line with what he says, not with what everybody else says. So God's word convicted them of their sin. Look at verse 9. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the Lord. And they had to be told, do not mourn. Now, that that seems counterintuitive to us. We'd say, well, wait a minute. I thought it's always good to repent over sin. It's always good to confess. It's always good to weep over our sin. Yes, it is. And we see that in the next chapter. So it's not that they never did that. They did But there's a very powerful point to us here about the gospel, and I want you to see it. Look at letter B. What we see in this passage is that God's word brings the joy of God's faithfulness. Remember, he keeps his promises. His mercy, he doesn't give us what we deserve, and his grace, he gives us what we don't deserve. This is the joy of the Lord. This is the joy of good news. And it's not only in the New Testament. It's also in the Old Testament. Does this make sense to you? I hope that you see the beauty that they're saying, look, the law was given to you so that you can know God, so that you can honor God, so so you can see the goodness of God. That is what we see in this. That's why they were told not to mourn. The picture would be, yes, the sin will deal with that in a little bit, but right now you need to see that God is a God of grace. God is a God of mercy. God is going to keep his promises for you. This is a beautiful picture of the gospel. Look at the next part there under B. God keeps his covenant promises even when we do not. That's part of what we see in Nehemiah. It's all, the whole book is about God coming and after they had disobeyed and the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians ruled over them in captivity, that God is giving them another chance. God is rebuilding with them. That's what the whole book is about. Notice here, this is the gospel, and circle it, reason to rejoice. This is the reason the angels were just, were just bursting at the seams that night in the skies over Bethlehem. This is the reason that the angels were saying, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to those whom he's pleased. This is, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, and he's Christ the Lord. It's the Messiah. You see, this is the great joy of Christmas, that that salvation has come. You see, the whole redemption plan makes sense. Some of you say, well, nobody's ever taught me that. Well, you're hearing it now. 
Let's keep going. Notice here, this is the good news of the gospel. Look at verse 9. It says, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Verse 10, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing. You see, this is, this is the glorious celebration. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, sometimes just seeing and hearing the goodness of God and just seeing and hearing the holiness of God can become your strength. Notice verse 11. So the, so the, Le, uh, the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And then look at verse 12. I want you to see this. And all the people went their way to eat, drink, and to send portions to and to make great rejoicing, and look what it says. Let's read out loud the underlined part in verse 12. Because they had understood the words that were declared to them. When you understand the Bible, it brings joy, ultimately. There may be a, a sense of mourning. There may be a sense of even regret sometimes that comes up, but as we come and we sacrifice that to the Lord, we give that to the Lord, we see that this is a God of redemption. And when we understand the Bible, we come to have great joy. Look at Romans chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 as we get near to the end here. Look at verse 4. It says, or do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. You see, that goes with this passage. This picture that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. The fact that he is a merciful God. The fact that he is a God with grace. But there's some who refuse that. There's some who refuse to look into the grace of God and the goodness of God. Look at verse 5. This is what they do. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The picture of this is the lostness of man, as we see in Romans chapter 2, our need for a Savior, that God is calling all through Jesus Christ to trust in Him, to run to Him, to find forgiveness in Him but we see a world that has rejected him. And so this is the great picture of what about you? What about me? What will we do with this year? Number one, I want you to see this first one. Number one, will you attentively read the word in 2021? Will you do that? Will you make God's word central to your life? And fill, fill this in both at your home and with your church family. I want to encourage you to make God's word central. This is far more important than whatever is on CNN or Fox News or any of the other things that have popped up in recent years. This is far more important. This will get you much further than knowing what the Wall Street Journal or the Epoch Times has to say. This is far more important than that. And so I, I, I would challenge you and encourage you, for those of you who are news freaks, like I tend to be, I, I want to encourage you what, what the Lord has been doing in my heart is I've been increasing this and decreasing that. 
Turn down the bad news and turn up the good news. That's what we need to do. That's how hope and that's how peace will come. Let me tell you, there are all kinds of resources, and I'll share some more of these, but man, if you just go to the, the Bible app from Life Church in Oklahoma City I, I, or in Edmond, it, it's amazing. I mean, it'll read to you, can put it up, you can cast it out to your screen, and each day, Marcy is going to probably go through the Bible about four times this year, the entire Bible. Listening to the entire Bible be read to her, very, very cool. You can see it on your screen, and you can hear it read, and you, you, you can, I mean, that's just one way to begin saturating your mind with the Word of God. And, and we have inductive Bible studies that our ladies are going to do, and our guys are going to do, that, that you can take a Bible study and, and spend some time in God's Word. Three different levels of that among the ladies' Bible study. I, I, I want to encourage you to begin to enjoy. I want to encourage you not to miss Sunday mornings. Not at home. If, if you're, if you're kind of at home because you feel like we're really vulnerable, we need to be at home. I want to encourage you to, man, turn up the volume. Turn up the commitment. I want to encourage you to print the notes. Just, just think ahead about it. Get As best you can, make this an important time of receiving the Word of God. Will you attentively read the Word? Number two, will you joyfully receive the Word? That's what we see in this passage. They're told to joyfully receive who God is and what He said and what He's done. Joyfully receive it right out there to the side by faith. This is what we do. We look to the Lord in faith. And you say, well, I can't joyfully receive it. I don't know if I believe it. I'm having a hard time. I'm struggling. I don't understand. Well, listen, if that's where your heart is this morning, I just want to say this. Just say to the Lord, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Help me not to reject you. Help me not to reject your word. Help me to understand it. Every time I go to read the Bible, I just kind of stop and I say, Lord, help me to understand your word this morning. You can do that. And you know what? God loves to answer those prayers. You just watch and be amazed at what he does. If your heart is having a hard time this morning with any of the gospel, any of these things, that's what prayer is for. And if God gives you the grace to ask him, oh, friend, I rejoice because you will be blessed. Will you joyfully receive the word? I want you to keep your paper in your hand as you stand right now. Keep your paper in your hand as you stand. I want you to read this last passage, and it is on the screen in front of you as well. James 1.27 says it all for this message. I think this is about the perfect verse to end this message on. Look what it says in James 1.27. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with humility the implanted word which is able to save your souls. What is it telling you to do at the beginning? Put away the garbage that's keeping you from God and receive the words of God, which are able to save your soul. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven,
May 2021 be glorious because of your word. Come what may, virus or government, economic trouble, storms, cancer, car wrecks, broken relationships. Lord, come what may, may we be people who are grounded in the God of Scripture, the God of grace, the God of mercy, the God of faithfulness, the God of holiness and purity, the God of plans, good plans. Lord, may we love you more than we love this world. May we love you more than we love our sin. Oh Lord, help us to put away all filthiness. Lord, our world's full of it. You know how Marcy and I just had to turn off a program the other night. We just turn it off. It's not, it wasn't worth it. It's just, it's just dumb and anti-you. Lord, may we be people who turn away from the world and turn to the eternal God who saves. Lord, thank you. As we run to your table in just a moment, oh Lord, may we run and hold on to this table and say that this is the hope. A Savior has died that we might live. His body was broken. His blood was poured out. This is the God of salvation. Oh Lord, may we love the gospel. May we love what you have done. And Lord, may we live it, I pray. In Jesus' name.